As we have probably said, I don't know, a million times on this podcast and elsewhere, digital signage is a communications tool, much more than a technological tool. It is technology, but it's about communications, and communications is a wide area. A lot of people think they're good at communications, writing, and marketing, and sometimes they're right, and sometimes they're not. So today I'm going to talk to Dave Haynes, founding editor of 16.9, a digital signage blog that's been out there for 15 years. Uh, he also has a podcast, also called the 16.9 Podcast, and his tagline is all digital signage, some snark. Well, that sounds awfully refreshing, Mr. Haynes. And some days there's more snark than others. <laughs> These days, more snark. I'd like to thank Mr. Haynes for talking to me today, and I'd like to thank all of you for listening. This is Digital Signage Done Right. Whether you're new to digital signage or a seasoned pro, this podcast gives you practical advice about systems, communications, and content to better engage your audience. I'm Derek DeWitt, Communications Specialist for Physics. Welcome to Digital Signage Done Right. A lot of the way that companies have to advertise themselves and promote themselves, their products and their services, really involves an astonishing amount of content creation these days. And there's a lot of it out there that isn't really awesome. What are what would you say are some of the basics of how to communicate your marketing communications, how you should uh, organize them, what you should say, what are some of the mistakes that different companies make? Well, I think the biggest thing is think about your audience. Who are you trying to communicate to and what are you trying to tell them? Mm. And go in that direction instead of just doing what your predecessor did uh, in the past or uh, what you were taught in your public relations course in 2002 or 1992, <laughs> whatever it may be. Oh. One hell of a lot of formulaic stuff out there. I, I wanted to talk about this because I've been in journalism for 40 plus years and the last 15 years or so been writing specifically about this industry. And I'm at a point now where I get many hundreds of emails a day and at least a hundred, I would say, are from companies who would like me to write about their stuff what they've sure, done, what sure. they sell, their, you know, all that sort of thing. And I, I would say nine out of 10 times what they send to me is just not very good and I have to pull it apart or for the most part, I just hit delete and I don't do anything with it now. Sometimes that's because I'm just not interested, but there's other times where I will read what they've sent me and I can't make heads or tails of it. Of course, the classic thing in journalism is don't bury the lead. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a huge one. Part of the problem is formula, again, that so many companies follow a standard PR formula that's been around for 40 years, kind of ignores the fact that there's something called the internet now and involves a lot of puffery. They try to wedge in all of these standard kind of boilerplate, maybe not all that true assertions at the front end of their press release or their marketing material, as opposed to just saying, this is what we've done. This is what it is. This is why you should give a crap. And this is when it's going to be available. I just don't see that very often. I see much more of Brand X, the world's leading provider of this or that, uh, is delighted to announce that we've, uh, and I, you, you've lost me already. So much of business talks about things like elevator pitches and what's your elevator pitch? What's that thing uh, where, where you've got 15 seconds to convince somebody that they should be interested in your company or your product? I don't see that very often in PR. 
uh, where they, mm. where they kind of thought through what's that thing that's going to immediately grab me emotionally connect with me and say, and make people think, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to read more about this instead mm-hmm. of just pouring the pants off of people. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. I think too, maybe sometimes like with uh, PR releases, you know, press releases and things, the idea is they don't know who their audience is. It could be anybody. And so we need to get as much information out there as possible in as generalized and standardized and, and generic a way as possible in order to reach as wide an audience as possible. Whereas if they thought about it, they would probably realize that their audience isn't as general as they are uh, assuming. You should just really think about who do you really hope reads this? And whether that's for PR, uh, whether you want an influencer like me to relate it or, uh, you know, there's a lot of PR that goes out and it gets repurposed by endless, uh, I don't even know how to describe them, but they're kind of like sites that don't really have a center to them. They just repurpose a lot of press releases and you'll see stuff on digital mm-hmm. signage on a concrete website or whatever, because they just scoop up by keywords and it, and it shows up. In those cases, then yeah, you, you, maybe it is just an SEO thing where you want this to appear in as many places as possible. But if you are hyper-targeting a particular audience, say in the case of Visix, because you guys sell a lot into enterprise business to workplace in general and campus and so on, your audience is narrowed. So are, are you trying to reach the business communicators? Uh, is a particular release more skewed to the IT side of a business because it's about new battery-free displays or something like that? You know, it, mm. it, like, Think about who you want to reach, what you want to say, and what's going to tickle their fancy as opposed to just something that's going to make the boss happy and uh, would have made your instructor back in 1992 happy. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, this is not to denigrate fry cooks, but, you know, say if you're a tech company, you're probably not thinking, hey, I hope fry cooks read this. And I think one one of the things too is it's not just the audience, but what's the action item you want your audience to take? What do you want them to do? Do you want them to, like when physics does stuff, we want people to go to the website and, f- and become interested and fill out a form. And so if you're a, a bus driver, you're not our audience. No offense to bus drivers, but you're just not. I think one of the other big problems that I see repeatedly is the use of what I call buzzword bingo, uh, loading things up with all these uh, kind of latest generation phrases that seem to be popular at the moment, as opposed to just saying, this is what it is and this is what it does. And you can get into the technical specifications and everything else further down because the people who are still reading are those who are actually interested and doing the tell me more thing but up top just Mm. keep it really simple and plain language that should be the new standard for these kinds of communications is like boil it down throw it out there as quickly as possible engage me or let me know if i care to be engaged and then let me go if if i'm not yeah i mean it's in a lot of ways there's a corollary with the way digital science content is done there's we've spent 20 years trying to yell at uh, end users to not load a screen with too much information and to think in terms of uh, 
these screens being like billboards on a highway where you've got seconds to uh, capture attention and stimulate interest. Same thing applies with how you are, first of all, marketing to the trade media, the press, and to others who might pick up and recirculate your information, but also to the end users who are going to see this. And if it's just flat out repurposed, like I'm different from most uh, writers in this industry in that it's pretty rare where I'm just going to take a press release, uh, select all copy, paste it in, hit publish, and I'm done. That happens a lot. I don't do that. I tend to re-edit and pull apart and completely repackage a lot of stories so that people understand what it is and why you should care. But a lot of people don't do that. And Mm. so what you write, if it's convoluted, complicated, and makes no sense uh, as your press release, how it appears in some other trade publication you're targeting is going to be like that as well. So you're going to be no better off. You are actually an expert in this field. And if it's confusing to you, how the heck is it going to come across to Susie user or even the C-suite or the IT manager who's maybe shopping around for digital signage and they're going to be completely at sea? Oh yeah, 100%. I've I've said this to a number of people saying, you know, I have read this five times now and I can't make heads or tails of it. And I'm ostensibly an expert in this industry. I've been in it for 21 years. So if I don't get it, how on earth is anybody else ever going to figure this out? If I really want to screw up my copy, what should I do? (laughs) Uh, Well, get get heavily into buzzword bingo, uh, beat your chest about how awesome your company is and make a lot of, I'd say, tenuous assertions uh, uh, about what it is. Like lately, one hell of a lot of the, the press I get makes some sort of connection to artificial intelligence or machine learning. And uh, that's the latest version. Uh, Prior to that, it was all about blockchain. I can't tell you the number of digital out of home and other kinds of software companies who would say they're uh, blockchain driven in some way. And I would read it and go, okay, I don't possibly see how you are other than you've used the word. And before that, it was (laughs) IoT. So there's always this thing that companies are trying to hitch their wagon to because they think that's somehow going to stimulate interest in them. And maybe it does, but anybody who's educated, who's a serious buyer is going to look at that and go, first of all, you guys aren't using blockchain here. And secondly, you're knuckleheads and I'm not going to deal with you. Whoever wrote this literally has no idea what blockchain is. Or I wonder sometimes if they're not just trying to trick Google, they're still thinking of Google the way it was, say, 10 years ago, where you could kind of trick it by just throwing in certain keywords and the algorithm would pick it up and and stick it in. But Google's gotten so sophisticated now that that's actually detrimental to your SEO efforts. I do some writing for uh, third-party companies and... When I started doing that sort of thing five, six, seven years ago, uh, there was a really rigid structure as to how they wanted you to write a story. And you had to make Mm -hmm. sure you you had certain keywords in there a certain number of times. And and there would be analyses of, is this story effective the way it's written? And it would make me crazy because Mm -hmm. yes, maybe it was good for SEO, but in terms of readability, 
It was terrible. And I, I've noticed in the last two, three years that that doesn't seem to be mandated the same way. So Google and whoever seems to be smarter about it. Another problem that I see over and over again is, I don't know whether it's the CEOs or the VP marketing or whoever writing these things, but there's this great abiding love of putting in useless quotes. We're delighted, we're excited, we're thrilled, we're pleased, on and on and on. And the team has been so tremendous in, in doing this or that. And I'm just reading it and thinking, I don't care about this. I can't imagine anybody else cares about this. But you've got three paragraphs from three executives from the same company or the three partners from the three partner companies all saying they're delighted and excited. As a trade journalist, I just select all on those and delete them, or I or I'll use part of the quotes that have the you know the money stuff that actually is meaningful in some way. Mm. So if you're if you're going to manufacture quotes, which in most PR they are manufactured, they're not natural language quotes. You've got this finite opportunity to reinforce the features, benefits, value, or importance of what you've just released or enhanced or whatever it may be. Use it for that. Like you, you've got these fleeting moments to capture people's attention. Nobody cares that you're thrilled or pleased or excited or delighted. Sorry. The other stuff that can make me crazy, and I, I suspect it uh, makes a lot of people who are at the receiving end of all this, is the nuts and bolts stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. in terms of formula, format, and everything else, I will get press releases and media pitches quite a bit from companies who will go on at considerable length talking about uh, a particular visual display project. And then they don't send me images. Here's 1,200 words describing this project. <laughs> you figure out how it looks, even though it's a visual display project. So I will send emails back saying, could you send me photos? And then they will send me a photo that's a eight megabyte file saved at 300 DPI. And it's, you know, like 8,000 pixels wide or something. So at that point, I'm having to do the edit to reduce it to size, reduce the uh, dot pitch so that it's web ready and everything else. So there, there are so many cases where PR people are still thinking the world is driven by print and it's yeah. not. And in really horrendous cases, they'll send a JPEG of a press release. Oh, no. Yeah, uh, but no. that, that's not terribly common. What are you supposed to do with that? Retype it? Yeah. Uh, then the, <laughs> the next wor worst case is a PDF, mm -hmm. which I guess they do because they're worried that somebody's going to change the words on it, but they're going to anyways if they don't like it. Uh, yeah, but right. that means as a trade press person, I'm going to have to select all, export the text, and then usually the exported version has all the carriage returns in the wrong place and everything else. So I'll spend the next 10 minutes fixing oh. all that, or oh. there's a decent chance that I'll say, oh, screw this and uh, just not even cover it because they've made it hard for me. Anything that you can do to make it dead simple for the person at the other end to use this material, and that means... In an ideal case, it's just a text file with a copy that'll paste into any kind of uh, CMS system and allow you to manipulate it as you need to manipulate it without a lot of hidden coding or anything else. Mm. I mean, uh, physics, uh, you know, because I'm talking to physics here, you guys have been fabulous when you will 
uh, do guest author pieces for me, you send it in the HTML. My yeah. God, it's, you know, I, I, I've had uh, Debbie, your spouse, uh, send me a note saying, my God, that was fast. That's already up. And I, and I said, well, because you gave it to me ready to go. Yeah, I didn't have to do a three-day turnaround. Yeah. So the, the, then the other things that are important are thinking about the photos that you're sending. Are they good photos or, or are they just the photos that you happen to have handy? I don't care about grip and grin photos of the CEO of one company shaking the hands of their customer. I, I don't know who runs those other than local newspapers still, but I, they still get sent my way. Video is really, really important these days. Uh, I, I've said many times in the last three, four years that don't worry so much about a highly polished, produced, uh, well-lit, everything else piece of video. Just send me video that shows what the project looks like. Unless it's not great, grainy or shaking like crazy or whatever. If it's just shot on a uh, iPhone, that's totally fine. But, but ideally, don't send it to me. Send a link to me. There's this assumption that because I'm, I'm online, I can stream video effectively. And no, I can't. Uh, it's not going to pop up on the screen quickly. It might chug along and everything else. Put it on a industrial grade free platform like YouTube or a nominally expensive platform like Vimeo with all the proper settings and everything. And then it, I can just take that embed code and drop it right into the blog post that I'm going to do. Right, and right. it's going to look awesome. And you've got control over how it looks. But mm. uh, a lot of times, even if they are on something like Vimeo, the privacy settings aren't right. right. So I'll, I'll drop it in and then it, it gives me a, a notification saying, can't use it. It's not going to show because the privacy settings are wrong. So just kind of think all those things through. There's nothing hard about this stuff, but you have to think it through and you have to think about who's receiving it and who's going to use it. A lot of people use SEO companies to create their content. And I get the feeling sometimes when I read some of this stuff, I can tell this was written by someone who is not in this company. It's written for the company, but it's not written by someone who is in the company or even understands what the company does. Yeah. Uh, I, at one point, three, four years ago, engaged a company. I think they were down in Boston and they had a stable of writers. They, they were people who were experienced writers and you could select the ones that interested you based on their technology background and, and so on. Uh, and I thought there's the odd piece that I do that uh, I could probably farm out to somebody else just because I'm super busy and it doesn't cost very much or anything else. And I tried that and I sent back notes to the writers in particular to their editors saying, this is just what I call whipped air. It's just <laughs> like 800 words about nothing. You've put the subject matter in there, but then you've just blabbered on about nothing for 800 words, and you know, it's, it's just pointless. Do you ever think sometimes you read things and you think, I think they're lying. I don't think they're telling the truth at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say all the time, but it, 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 it happens frequently, and it's often around the assertions of uh, size and scale of their company who they work with. Like a, the, the classic story that's been around digital signage since its early days is every software company out there has McDonald's as its client. Because if you look at the, uh, the 10K Road Race logo festival page where they say our partners or our clients or our portfolio or whatever, uh, you, you, you see the golden art 
arches in so many websites. And the reality is there's a couple of big companies that have McDonald's and everybody else may have done something with a local franchisee because the franchise owner was their neighbor or something like that. Right. So uh, maybe that impresses some people, but I just call bullshit on it and I, I don't write about them. I think it's important for anybody who's crafting this kind of information to really think through what's good content. And from my perspective, it's things like new ways of doing something, a genuine technology advance, a kind of a look at the future, uh, stuff that explains things like right now, it's very foggy out there in terms of what different LED technologies are. There's a lot of companies saying what they have is micro LED when it's not, Mm -hmm. uh, or it's what I've started referring to it as micro LED ish. Um, (laughs) So it's, that's problematic. And so you you, want to do what you can to explain that clearly. I don't see enough about tangible results and outcomes. Uh, so much PR is about, here's our stuff, you figure out how to use it. Versus, we did this, it elevated sales by 24%, average purchase size went up by $2.18 or whatever. That's the sort of thing where you you get your readers, they lean in, Mm because, oh, this is interesting. So just innovation, fun, interesting stories, great visuals that uh, you look at that and go, holy shit, look at that. And Mm -hmm. that makes you want to read it. The other thing is I come out of uh, daily newspaper journalism great long time ago, (laughs) originally, and what you learn back then, and maybe they still teach it now, but I'm 40 years removed from that, is uh, the five W's. And Mm. it's who, what, when, where, why, and also Mm. how. But Mm. I always say in consulting, but also just in writing, if you adhere to those, that, that principle, it'll take you a long way. So, you you know, you get, here's what we just announced and what it does. This is who it's for. This is why you should care. This is where it's going to be used. And this is when it's available. If you just use that checklist, that takes you well down the road in terms of having something that's actually effective. Mm, And not whipped air. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. So you get a phenomenal amount of content on digital signage of the digital signage industry coming your way. What What are some of the trends you're starting to see, especially now we're in this COVID time and uh, I think a lot of companies are changing the way that they use things. What are some of the trends you're starting to see sort of uh, crop up? Every, I shouldn't say every, but many, many companies out there somehow uh, trying to make themselves COVID relevant. Mm. And in, in some cases that's been by developing products that uh, somehow address health and safety measures. I, I found a hell of a lot of companies were just importing things, uh, gadgets from China that you know had a screen, but also dispensed hand sanitizer. There's all right. these thermal imaging systems that are, are basically very large smartphones or, or smallish tablets with a camera on them that'll do a crappy job of reading your, your temperature and making people question, is this secure? Why are they doing that or anything else? I don't think that stuff works or makes sense. Uh, I've found those companies that are are doing interesting stuff are those that are integrating uh, different business systems. So if if you think of those access control displays as kind of islands of activity, what's way more interesting to me are those companies that have started to work with access control systems Mm -hmm. so that uh, you you already have NFC or RFID readers for badges and things like that. When you walk into an office tower, you 
you tap on this thing that opens a little plexiglass gate and you can go into the elevator lobby and so on. What are those companies that are integrating and building digital signage into that and taking the different data triggers and everything else to make this all cohesive? That's mm. way, way more interesting, but I, I've not seen a lot of that. To be fair, I think it's, it is a challenge. And I think a lot of companies are like, well, what the heck can we do? Besides tell people, wash your hands, don't cough on each other, wear a mask, and uh, don't come into the office if you don't need to. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of smaller solutions companies have had to pivot just to survive. And, you know, I, I can't knock them for trying to figure out if we can't sell our regular stuff, what can we sell right now? Mm-hmm. And uh, if there's an interest in this, then great, we'll sell it. But I don't think uh, they, they've seen a lot of glory out of going down that particular path. To me, the, it's not really a trend, but the observation is uh, of the many, many companies that I've spoken to over the last 10 months, I've been surprised at how many are doing okay. And I think that owes to the simple fact that the nature of retailing and public spaces right now is there's one hell of a lot more information that needs to be communicated. And if you're using things like dry erase marker boards or printouts taped to the door of your store or building or whatever, it looks crappy. And it looks amateurish. Can, yeah. And it, it's, it's completely off brand. So those companies that already had digital signage are very, very happy that they had it. And while I don't think there's been, you know, even a, a hint of a gold rush in the past 10 months, I do think that uh, a lot of companies that were planning on digital transformation in, in a variety of ways have seen the need to do effective messaging to their staff and to their customers, uh, has come up. And while they may not be spending a million dollars on an LED video wall in their lobby, uh, they may see the value in having a set of displays in key decision points that say, here's the rules as they now exist. Here's what you need to do. Please take a number, sit over here. We will page you when uh, we're ready to talk to you or whatever. So this whole circumstance has led to uh, a bit of a rethink and probably introduced a, a lot of new ways of doing things, particularly I'm a, I'm a fan of something called queue management, which is the sort of thing that you see in Department of Motor Vehicles branches, sure, uh, passport offices, that sort of thing. But you rarely see them outside of those kinds of venues. Now you're going to start to see queue management in all kinds of places because mm. it's going to be like appointment-based shopping and everything else. And I think a lot of that is going to live beyond the pandemic, just in the way that drive-through had a dirty name about it because everybody was uh, idling their cars and contributing to greenhouse gases. But now it's a way to keep restaurants in business and get food safely. Systems such as digital signage are so dynamic and so flexible that they can withstand the uh, pressures of uh, situations like this. Because, and I'm by no means trying to be a scaremonger, but, you know, this COVID thing, it might not be the only one to come along in the next 10 years, you know, and, and it would be smart of us to use this time wisely and come up with these systems and these processes and these procedures so that here's hoping it doesn't happen. But if another one comes along and God forbid, it's even worse, we're ready. We can pivot immediately. We know we already workshopped this. We already wargamed this. We know how to handle this now and we can, we can, survive and even thrive uh, during uh, a similar crisis. And, and I think it's reinforced and, and, and 
elevated the awareness that real-time information is valuable and mm. you can't do real-time very easily with print or with uh, manually updated signs or marker boards or whatever it may be so that right now that real-time information in a big box retailer may be saying that there are no Lysol wipes or Clorox wipes or whatever available. We're out of paper towels and this and that. But down the road for all kinds of businesses, it can be real-time information like surge pricing because mm. uh, we, we've got perishable goods that we're going to have to throw out. So we'll sell them at half price right now. And mm -hmm. that's the sort of thing that if you can start to marry that with inventory systems and other management systems, it just kinds of happens. And the same thing applies in airports, mass transport hubs of other kinds, on and on and on, where tied together systems paired with dynamic displays that can change content and shape content based on the information that's much more easily shared than it used to be between different systems. That's powerful stuff. So I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, this whole circumstance has really uh, shone a light on what's possible. Once the pandemic is over, you'll keep these systems because they work and that makes sense, pandemic or no pandemic. Yeah, except those little uh, little displays that scan for temperature. I, yeah, maybe that and the hand sanitizer dispensers we won't need. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of these gadgets filling dead storage in companies. Think about the full life cycle of what you're investing in, uh, not only with gadgets, but in, in the overall network so that mm. you're not just thinking about what it's going to do for me right now. What's it going to do for me when this ends or as other things develop? And uh, do you see a day two years out where you're going to be using computer vision or other audience analytics information to kind of shape what, what's happening on screens? Because that may impact uh, your, your decisions around a CMS, around the hardware you're using, mm. uh, the connection activity, everything else. So essentially, when you're coming up with your communications and your marketing, don't lie. Know what you're talking about. Think about who your audience is. Say what you mean up front and say it simply and succinctly and quickly in a way, just like the digital content that you consume. And don't make it hard for the recipient of your press material to actually use it. Yeah. Also, yeah. Do do the person who's passing on your stuff a favor and make things easy. Yeah. Don't piss me off. <laughs> don't don't piss him off because you will get more than you will get more than some snark buddy. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, super interesting conversation. I'd like to thank you for talking to me today, Mr. Haynes. No problem. I enjoyed it. I'd like to thank everybody out there for listening to this episode of Digital Signage Done Right. Hey, want more free stuff? Then head to the resources section of physics.com for free masterclass guides, blogs, videos, and more to help you with your digital signs. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review of this episode and connect with us on social media. 